This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. Good morning. It's really good to, uh, to be with you today. We are uh, carrying on our series, Belong. So, I just... Um, I'm going to do things a bit differently today. Normally we deep dive into a passage and look at that, but I want to just zoom out for a moment. Have you ever had that experience where you uh, finish a book or a film or a particularly a long-running TV series, I guess, and, and you kind of feel sort of sad, like disappointed it's, it's finished, or you kind of feel like the, the characters that you have invested lots of time and hours in have sort of become your friends, and it's kind of a sadness that it's all over. Just must be me then. Hannah and I finished um, Parks and Rec last year, and after se- seven seasons and 126 episodes, we genuinely felt like Leslie Nope and Ron Swanson were our friends. And if you don't know who they are, watch it. It's really funny and brilliant. But we felt sad when it finished. I finished a trilogy of, of books not so long ago, hours of reading, thousands and thousands of pages. Absolutely loved it. And when it finished, I just felt sad. I just felt sad that the story wouldn't continue. I also, if I'm honest, felt a little bit daft. I'm 37 years old. Why would I feel sad about a saying goodbye to people who never existed? But I, I just felt that sense of, oh, it's finished. The reason, of course, is that we know that story captures our attention. That story had really captured my imagination. That's what all great stories do, isn't it? They kind of draw us in. They tap into our imaginations. They make us come alive, we, we enter the story, and then the story finishes, and we're suddenly returned back to our real world, uh, kind of which so often by comparison can feel a little bit uh, maybe flat or a little bit mundane or ordinary or truthfully over the last 16 months, just a little bit boring sometimes. But something we need to understand is that stories are not just a way to escape our normal lives, stories actually shape our normal lives. I'm not a series of, or a set of statistics and facts. I have those things about my life, but they don't shape my life. My life is shaped by story, a story of where I've come from, a story of where I I think I'm going. And story is a much more powerful driver for our lives. Companies know this, of course. It's kind of why advertising works as it does. Companies know that consumers, that's us, will buy something if we imagine it will make our life happier, even if logically we know that that's not true. Logically, if I buy this, that, and the other, it's not going to actually massively improve my life. But I buy into the idea that it will somehow. Story is powerful. We live in stories. We are shaped by stories. And we shouldn't be surprised by any of this. After all, the Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God, and God himself is a storytelling God. The Bible tells his story. And at the heart of our faith is this huge claim that in a world full of stories, all the good ones, all the bad ones, all the goodies and the baddies, all the the romances and the tragedies and the comedies and the drama and everything else in a world of twists and turns and surprise endings and all of that, The heart of our faith is the claim that there is only one real story. That every other story, whether it's real or it's fictitious, is just an echo or a shadow of this story. 
And the moment you became a Christian, the split second you became a Christian, you were added into this story. And you became a disciple, you became a family member, and you became a missionary. And that is what this series is all about. And truthfully, if we're honest, lots of us, we kind of get the disciple thing. We get the, the family member thing. It's a bit harder, perhaps, because, you know, it involves other people. But we get to the missionary thing, and we think missionaries, and we're like, oh. And we think, oh, the kind of missionaries, well, they're people who go overseas, right? Missionaries are like the special forces of Christians. They're the, they're the special ones. That's not me. They go and do that, not me. Or missionaries, it's just another fancy way of saying evangelism, isn't it? And uh, most of us, if we're honest, feel inadequate about that area of our lives. Other people are good at that. I mean, not so much. Or we just feel guilty about it. Preach on prayer, preach on evangelism, and most Christians feel guilty at some point. We think of missionary as something that we do, not something that we are. But actually, missionary is all about identity. The word missionary, it just means a sent person. Our identity as missionaries is rooted, not in ourselves, but is rooted in God himself. God is a sending God. Jesus is described in Galatians as the sent one. And Jesus says to us, John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Because of our identity in Christ, we are to continue, if you like, the mission work of Jesus. That's, that's at the heart of what being a missionary is. Je the Father sent Jesus. Jesus is sending us. Jesus tells us in Acts chapter 1, he says, we've already heard it a bit in our, in our worship, the Spirit poured out to equip us. He says, when the Spirit's poured out, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is who we are. And understanding what it is to be a missionary, a sent one, it starts with understanding the story that we're living in. Now, I don't normally preach like this, but I thought it'd be fun to do something different. So here, for those of you who like taking notes, six things, six things that missionaries know. Some of you have been asking me to have slides with numbers in it for a long time. Here you go. Today is the day where all of your weird dreams come true. Six things that missionaries no. Number one, missionaries know that they live inside a very great story. Missionaries know that they live inside a very great story. Tolkien, the guy who wrote Lord of the Rings, he wrote to his son Christopher, who was serving in World War II uh, in the Air Force. And you can imagine being in the Air Force or any of the armed services in World War II, the chaos that that ensued. And in the midst of it all, Tolkien writes to his son and he says this, Well, there you are. A hobbit, if you know anything about Lord of the Rings, there's a lot of hobbits in it. A hobbit amongst the Urukai, which is one of the enemies in Lord of the Rings. And he says to his son, in the midst of all the chaos, keep your hobbitry in heart and think that all stories feel like that when you are in them. You are inside a very great story. Do you know that you're inside a very great story? Not do you know the Bible story, but do you know that you live inside it? You are an active participant. You are a, a, a character. You are a player in the greatest story ever told. And truthfully, we so often have a, a tendency to reduce the, the size and the scale of the story. We think of the gospel as, a, as primarily as a solution to our sin problem. God's good. I'm not. There's a problem. Jesus makes a way. Now I'm made right with God. Good. Thank you. And we treat it so often like a ticket to a football match. 
It's a ticket to heaven. I know I'm going to need it when I get there, but right now I'll just put it in my back pocket because I'm not there yet. And that's, that's, we reduce the gospel like that, but it's so much more. It's like how C.S. Lewis, the guy who wrote Narnia, he ends that Narnia series. I read them with my kids during lockdown. He ends the series of Narnia, all the books, with the whole of Narnia being made new. It's Lewis's way of trying to get you to realize that it isn't actually just about having a friendship with Aslan. As important and as cool and as amazing as that is, there's something bigger going on. It's about the entire world being made better and us living in that better world, that perfect world forever. It's about the cosmic reign of God in Christ that will one day ultimately fully eradicate all the evil in the world and so therefore it will deal with our sin problem in the end anyway. That's what we are part of. That's exciting. Honestly, that's so very exciting. Being a Christian is not just about having your sins forgiven and getting a ticket to heaven, although those things are true too. It's about being saved and rescued and restored and then commissioned to be sent out on mission in partnership with Jesus, changing communities, changing cities, and changing ultimately nations of the world one person at a time. That's the story you are part of. Keep that hobbitry in your heart. Keep that story in your heart. Whatever else is going on in your life, we're facing all sorts of different things right now. Whatever else is going on in your life, keep that story in your heart. That is the bigger story that shapes your life both now and eternally. Number two, missionaries know that this is what they were created for. Sometimes we look at Scripture and we see the exploits and the adventures of the characters in Scripture, and we think, my life is nothing like that. I'm not like any of those guys. We might not like to kind of admit it, perhaps definitely not publicly, but oftentimes we're, we're just a little bit bored. We see ourselves more in Eutychus than any of the Hebrews 11 Hall of Famers. He was the guy who got so bored when Paul was preaching, he fell asleep, fell out of the window, and died of boredom in church. Some of you can relate. What do you say? Well, someone died. You didn't notice. Here's the thing. We get bored, right? We get distracted. We, we get scared. We get timid. We get apathetic. We get whatever it might be. The antidote to all of those things. The antidote to kind of, well, can I, it's a bit of effort to start going back to church, isn't it? Or the antidote to feeling a bit about stuff. The antidote is to remind ourselves of why we're here. We need to remind ourselves of why we, we were created. A guy called William Schenk said, to be a disciple of Jesus and a member of his body, disciple, family member, is to live a missionary experience in the world. There is no doubt that this is how the earliest Christians understood their calling. You were created with a mission. That is how the story starts. Genesis 1.27 says God made us in his image to know him and reflect him. And then verse 28, the very next verse, he makes us with a mission. He says, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. See, God placed humanity in his world to reflect his glory. And our mission is to rule over God's world to the glory of God. But then we know how the story goes. Genesis 3, sin comes, man rebels, sin enters the world. Everything gets busted. Everything gets broken. It gets twisted. It gets warped. And it becomes very self-centered. Everyone's still on a mission. That's how we are created. It's just the mission is now our own. 
That's what the whole story of Babel is all about in Genesis 11. Instead of spreading out like they were supposed to do to fill the earth, humanity comes together. Instead of living for the glory of God, they build a tower for themselves. Still on mission, but the mission is no longer about God. It's about self. It's about me. Is the purpose of your life, is your, your, your kind of primary driver, if you like, the way you use the things God's given you, is it for your glory or is it for his? It's a good question to keep asking ourselves because when we give ourselves to anything else, anything at all, it might hold our attention for a little bit, but at some point that story's going to end. See, Jesus is endlessly fascinating. You know that. He's endlessly fascinating. For all eternity, we're going to find him fascinating. If you're a bit bored, it's because you've stopped looking at him. And Jesus is on a mission to reach the least, the last, the lost, to redeem and renew every sector of society. If you're a bit bored or a bit apathetic, it's, it's likely because we've forgotten that every week the sobering reality is 150,000 Europeans die without Christ every single week. It's like we've forgotten that injustice is still rife in pretty much every area of society. That righteousness does not yet fully prevail in any area of our culture. There is no workplace that any of you live in which is fully righteous. Not even mine, I work for the church. There is still mess and brokenness and problems wherever we are. There's a lot of reasons not to be bored. A lot of reasons not to be apathetic. A lot of reasons to find our place in the story, to use our talents and our time and our treasure to make a difference in our spheres of influence. You see, being a missionary doesn't take place in here. It takes place out there where we spend our Monday through Saturdays. And this is what you were created for, to know God, to image him, to reflect him, and to be fruitful for his glory with whatever he has gifted you. And it's into this context, we go back to the Bible story for a moment, it's into this context that, of self-centered mission that God calls Abraham and he says to him in Genesis 12, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the promise he makes to Abraham and that's where we are heading. That is what we are part of, the ingathering of, the, of a great family. Revelation tells the end of the story, the multitude will be gathered then and we are partaking now, whether you realize it or not, you are partaking in the ingathering of the elect from every tribe and every tongue. And there is nothing more important, there is nothing more exciting going on in the world right now and the extent to which you believe that is the extent to which you understand the story that you are living in. This is what we are part of. Number three, missionaries know that they are blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. You see, the mission is to the lost, the mission is to the nation, but the mission is also to the margins too. Abraham become, is, is blessed in order that he might be a blessing. He was not chosen instead of the nations. He was chosen for the nations of the world. One family becomes a nation, Israel, and God makes a covenant with them of how to behave and how to live. And he says to them in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It's exactly what Peter says. All those years later, he says, we are now a chosen race, the royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is who we are. God makes this covenant with his people, and this covenant shapes God's people. How to behave. 
We're to be holy. We're to be set apart. We're to be distinctive, different from the world around them. That's what they were supposed to look like because they were supposed to look like and display God to a watching world. That's what all that heavy stuff in Leviticus is all about. Be holy because God is holy. And when you are act in accordance with who you are, others will notice and will be drawn to God. We are supposed to be modeling who he is and making a way for the nations, making a way for outsiders to know God. And when the people of God do what God says and reflect his character, lives are changed. That's what the beautiful story of Ruth is all about. It's like a little cameo going on of this in action. When God's people live under God's law and do what they're supposed to do, vulnerable immigrant widows find blessing, they find peace, they find hope, they find family among the community of God's people. That's why we care about justice. It's why we love and we serve people as many as we can because they are people made in the image of God with dignity and worth because of it to be loved and cared for. We are blessed in order to be a blessing. Number four, we're nearly there. Missionaries know that we live in the world, not of the world. You know, God's people have been called to be holy, set apart, distinct, but not disengaged. We don't remove ourselves from the world. We live in the world, but we are not of it. We are called to love people, to serve people, to shape nations. But that tension of being in and loving and and serving, of shaping, but not being shaped ourselves, that's a continual challenge. So as we read throughout Scripture, we see God's people will either be a light to the nations or they'll be corrupted by the nations. They'll either shape them or they'll be shaped by them. Are we going to be influenced by the word or the world in which we live? And we see this played out in the story of Solomon. He was so blessed. He was so rich beyond compare. He had so much stuff. He was so wise that the queen of Sheba hears about him and travels from the ends of the world to hear God's wisdom from Solomon. But world influences Solomon more than word. He was so blessed and yet he married foreign wives and then he joined in their worship of foreign gods. And instead of shaping the world, he was shaped by it. And things went badly wrong. The writer of Kings, 1-2 Kings, records the downward spiral of 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 the people of God under successive bad kings. And it reaches a particularly low point in 2 Kings 21 verse 9, where it says they did more evil than the nations. They did more evil than the nations. From absolute blessing to they did more evil than the nations. It's a sobering warning for us. Are we going to be shaped by the word or by the world? We're in it, but we're not of it. Number five, missionaries know they are carriers of light and bringers of hope because of Jesus. You see, as the Old Testament story continues, Israel's failed and God judges them for it. If you ever get, you find yourself reading Ezekiel, the first 24 chapters are basically about the judgment of God on the people of God because they failed to do what they were supposed to have done. And yet God's promises remain. See, the nations will be blessed because God said they will. People from every tribe and every tongue will be gathered because God said they will. And where Israel fails, God himself will act. And God sends prophets who begin to prophesy. And they prophesy he will gather his people. He will be a light to the world. He will make a way for all people to be saved, all people to be blessed, all people to be redeemed. And then we hit the pinnacle of the story, Jesus. 
the light of the world, the all-conquering king, the one whom Daniel prophesied about in Daniel 7 verse 14, the one who has given all authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is a kingdom that will not be destroyed. You see, because Jesus has been given all authority over the nations, he sends his disciples out to call the nations to submit to that authority. And that's what his final words before the ascension, before he returned to heaven, were all about. Matthew 28, verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And so that is now what we do. It's not a great suggestion. It's, it is the Great Commission. It's, this is what we now do. We go and proclaim. We declare that Jesus is king and Jesus will be king. That Jesus has been given all authority by the Father. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And if people confess his lordship now, they'll experience his coming rule as blessing, as life, and as salvation. Salvation. And if they reject him, they'll experience his coming rule as conquest, as death, and as judgment. That's the bottom line of the gospel that we proclaim. And we cannot shy away from it. To some, it's offensive. In fact, Scripture itself says to some, it's the aroma of death. But to those who are being saved, it is the aroma of life. This is the story we tell. And this is the story we carry. It's a story of life and death very real and we so we declare it but we also live it see jesus perfectly represents god to the world he starts his earthly ministry quoting we've already heard it today in worship he starts his earthly ministry quoting the words of isaiah 61 he says in luke 4 the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, Jesus is the light of the world who brings hope to those in darkness. He's the one who comes to do all of those things, release, set free, bring freedom, bring liberty, all of those things. But in Scripture, it's not just Jesus who's described as the light of the world. See, full of the Spirit, we're to do those things too. Jesus says of us in Matthew 5, you, he's speaking to us, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, Jesus' disciples will be a light to the world. Jerusalem was the city on a hill to which the nations would come and from which God would, his people would go forth to bring joy to those nations. God's intention was for the whole earth to find joy in Jerusalem because that's where God was dwelling and living with his people. And now Jesus, his new community, the church, us, we will be that city on a hill that draws people to God. We're both now a sign and a promise of the coming kingdom. This is what we are. One day there will be perfect peace. There will be perfect hope. There will be perfect joy and perfect love. And our lives now, in the mess, in the brokenness, in everything else, are supposed to point to that coming day and say, here you're going to catch a little bit of a glimpse of what one day you can know for all eternity in absolute perfection. 
You see, our lives, as normal, as ordinary, as complicated, as flawed as they might be, our lives, yours and mine, are the vehicle for drawing people to God. We are the dwelling place of God on earth now. And so our homes are places of the presence of God. Our eldest has a a school friend who comes from an immaculate house, like every worldly thing you could ask for. And he's around at our house, and one time he, he just stands there, and he looks up around in our house, and he says, I, I love coming to your house. I love coming to your house. It's just so... And he kind of pauses, and Hannah and I look at each other and thinking, he can't articulate this, but what he's about, what he's sensing is the presence of God. And he says, I love coming to your house. It's just so messy. <laughs> true but you know what that's actually the point though it's not about having everything together it's not about having everything neat and tidy it's just about being authentically you living not for the things of this world but for the glory of God using what you have whether that's a little or whether it's a lot using all of it to be a blessing letting your light shine bringing the presence of God in any context, in any situation that you are, just by your mere presence. Brothers and sisters, don't ever get bored with the ordinary. It's where most of us live. Number six, back to where we started. Missionaries know that they live inside a very great story. But there's a second part to that. They also know that being an ordinary person inside a very great story is the best place to be being an ordinary person inside a very great story is the best place to be. As we read the Bible story, sure, there are kings and there are queens and there are warriors and there are princes, but we also see a bunch of very normal people doing very normal things. We see bakers and butlers and cooks and fishermen and hunters and shepherds and farmers and scribes and doctors and midwives and soldiers and craftsmen and carpenters and potters and tent makers and bankers and homemakers and musicians and all the rest of it. That's an awful lot of normal folk doing very normal things to the glory of God. See, being an ordinary person inside a very great story is the best place to be. There's a guy called Greg Morse who wrote something that I read recently. It's so brilliant. I just want to end with it. He says this, although it may not feel like it, We live in a very great story. Have we forgotten? Our hearts grow accustomed to the extraordinary as it becomes familiar. We lose a sense of where we live when we can drive home without a map. Life no longer invigorates. God's epic plays out all around us and he draws us in to play our part. And yet we half-heartedly read our lines or escape into other people's lives. We are bored, but awake. We live in a great story, wild and throbbing with adventure, trying and terrible at parts, eternity hanging in the balance. A fierce dragon threatens, demons surround, hell gapes, the light still shines in the darkness. Angels assemble, the spirit animates, Christians stand clad in armor, the church marches on Hades, judgment hastens, salvation is ready to be revealed, the true king whose sandals no other character is worthy to unlatch, has died for sinners and lives forevermore. He is coming. This tale plays out in what we blaspheme and call ordinary. With all its details and drudgery, its paying bills and crying babies, its sports games and rush hour traffic, an eternal drama plays. 
one that draws heaven's attention. Angels ache to leave the theater. You are on the inside of a very great story, a story to be remembered, cherished, and clung to even during the most difficult scenes. Is there any other tale you would rather find was true? You live inside a very great story. You are an ordinary person with an extraordinary God, called to be salt and light, called to live out this story with the ta talents and the treasure and the time that you have in the lane that the Lord has put you in. Do not despise the one that you're in. Don't despise the ordinariness of it. Don't despise the mundane stuff of it. It's in ordinary life where normal people live. And one person at a time, communities, cities, nations are changed to the glory of God. Full of the Holy Spirit, we are the restorer of ancient ruins. Full of the Holy Spirit, we are the witnesses who go to the ends of the earth. And it starts in your street, your workplace, your neighborhood. Full of the Holy Spirit, we are those who bring hope and light into dark and depraved situations. Full of the Holy Spirit, we are those who are extending the kingdom, building the church, upon which the gates of hell shall not prevail. Brothers and sisters, whether we think we're good at it or not, we are his witnesses. We are missionaries. We are those called, known, loved, commissioned by God for his glory and the sake of a world. What you do matters. How you live matters. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you just fill us afresh? For the sake of the world, would you just fill us afresh? Would you equip us to do the works of Jesus? Would you equip us to bring liberty to captives? Would you equip us to bind up broken-hearted people? Would you equip us to bring sight to the blind? Would you equip us to proclaim this is the year of the Lord's favor? and the vengeance of our God. Would you equip us to be salt and light? I want to pray right now, particularly for those who are in difficult work situations, where there's all sorts of worldly agendas, where you're having to align yourself with things which even just in your workplace, you're like, this is so contrary to the word of God. How do I do this? I want to pray right now for an equipping of the Holy Spirit, for wisdom, for strength, for words, to speak truth in ways which is appropriate and helpful and winsome. Those of you fighting some battles at the moment, battle belongs to the Lord. We heard it in our worship. For those who are just struggling with the mundane kind of of it all, Holy Spirit, would you awaken our hearts to this very great story that we live in? Would you awaken our eyes and our hearts to the need around us, to the least, the last, the lost? to those on the margins. Thank you that we have been called. Thank you that we are known. Thank you that our place at the great eternal wedding feast is secure. Oh Lord, would we have the joy of leading many others to that place too. And we get to heaven's door one day and say, you're here, wow, and you're here. And I net, wow. Oh Lord, as we so see, would you come? Would you bear fruit to the glory of God? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. I want to commission you. Go this week. Go and be a missionary. We are disciples. We are family members. You are a missionary. For the, those who are feeling ill-equipped, Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is with you. For those who are feeling a bit apprehensive and nervous this week, 
The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is with you. For those who are a bit bored, awaken all your soul. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is with you.